Well, as you walked in tonight, hopefully you either saw the person or you saw the stand that was right next to the door when you walked in with a set of Bible verses on it. Bill and I were contemplating sticking that in the middle of the aisle, but I, A, was concerned about people tripping over it and B, still missing the fact that we wanted you to pick it up and uh, the like, but uh, uh, there's a set of verses there on forbearing and forgiving one another. Anybody not get that? We have one person that did not get it. So we have someone racing in with a copy. We, oh, she's got one. Okay, she's got it. Well, yeah, you're, you're, we're good. Okay, I think everyone's got it. So we'll be looking at that this evening, mainly looking at the passage in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you want the full context of that, uh, that will work, but these two passages are the keys in this and getting gaining understanding of what it means to forbear one another and to forgive one another. What does that mean when it comes to our Christianity? One of the things that we have in our culture today is the beauty of being able to take pictures and videos uh, and get them pretty clear. There are some that uh, are in here that are too young to remember the time where you actually had to go out to the store and buy film, and then you would take a picture, and uh, then you take a set of pictures, and then you do all the pictures, and you would go into a store, and they would develop the film. And many times when those pictures were taken, they did not, you know, you're thinking, okay, this is a fantastic shot of our family overlooking the Grand Canyon. And instead it's somebody's finger in the middle of the picture and it wasn't really that. It was looking into the sun. So you don't see anybody other than that. You know, that, that was how it used to be. And now uh, with people, uh, with the invention of camera phones can take you know these pictures that are stellar pictures and it doesn't require them to do anything because the phone does it for them and takes care of it and you can see instantaneously how the picture turns out and so we now have a generation of individuals that just go around and takes pictures of everything i can remember being on trips with teenagers and they're just taking pictures of everything you go do you even know where you're at they're like no you know and you're like well that's kind of why you take pictures is so that you can remember some of the places you've been at and they're like okay, you know, and whatever. That's how it would go. But with that, we have been able to capture some moments now in regular life uh, and daily life that we probably wouldn't have wasted time and film on in the past. You know, people filming their cats and their dogs and, and all of this now that is just, there's a plethora of these on the internet. And fairly common if you watch animal videos and you watch cat videos very often, which I tend to watch some of those just because we've got cats and you can see what other cats are doing and our cats are the same. But there's always generically in a video usually of an older cat that is sitting there and a younger cat. And the older cat's just sitting there and the younger cat's just running around, jumping, fighting, whatever with itself, chasing its tail and whatever. And the older cat just sits there throughout the whole video. And right at the end, the older cat's had enough and just poof. And the younger cat is out of the video and whatever. And we laugh at that. But you know what? There's some humanity in that. Not to say that animals are human, but you can see some human character in that. That we are, can sometimes be like that when we can put up with something, put up with something, put up with something. And then finally we've had enough. 
and we probably go to an extreme in dealing with the situation, and afterwards we have to, well, fix the situation that we've now caused because we've gone after somebody that was, well, generally just had more energy than what we might have had or done something not exactly the way that we had and the like. And that's kind of what we find in this, uh, these passages here this evening with the idea of forbearing one another and forgiving one another. The reason that we have Colossians and Ephesians together is that if you've ever read these two letters, there's themes in them that are almost identical. You're like, if you read Ephesians and then Colossians, you're like, wait a second, I've read this before. And you have to understand when the letter of Ephesians and the letter of Colossians uh, were going out, they were going out at the same time. Uh, to churches that were generally near one another so there's some themes that are the same but in the letter to the ephesians it's just glorifying and magnifying the fact that there's this body that christ has formed and it's called the church whereas colossians kind of looks at the other side this body requires a head someone to be in charge and there is uh, this one christ who is in charge of this body called the church but as you go through the letters, you'll find that there are some very similar statements, said slightly different, and they give you different aspects of what's going on in church life. For us, you have these two passages here that uh, we have. For the first one we wrote down is Colossians 3.12, and that's because it's organized into a smaller package for us to look at. But the Apostle Paul says there, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another, if any man hath a quarrel against thee, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye." That's the passage of Colossians. Well, you get to Ephesians, and that passage, you have the first statement for bearing right at the beginning of chapter 4, and the very end, you have the forgiving one another and a whole lot of stuff in between. But let's just read what it says there. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace and then you get down to the end of that chapter and it has this statement let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another tender-hearted forgiving one another even as god for christ's sake has forgiven you find these two statements and they're connected uh, very closely in Colossians and then you see them together in Philippians and they're both uh, almost the si two sides of one coin. When you look at this statement where it talks about forbearing one another, what in the world does that mean? Because last week we actually had a passage in Galatians that we talked about and it was just simply this, that we're to bear one another's burdens. And we're supposed to bear our own burdens. And the idea there is to carry, okay? We're, some responsibilities we're supposed to carry, like our backpack, where we carry those things and the like. But there are burdens that are so massive that a single person can't carry it themselves. And what we are supposed to do is to come alongside individuals and help them carry that. That's just part of the Christian life. We do this over and over and over again. 
But in this passage, it has the idea, and he uses this term forbearing, and it's a term that's used about 15 times uh, in the Scripture. And you go, well, what does it mean? Well, the idea of it is this, is that if you're to forbear with one another, it could be defined simply as this, to uh, tolerate, to put up with someone or something. It just basically means to put up with people, to tolerate them. You have context in the scripture where this uh, word is used. There's the story of the transfiguration. And just after that, Jesus comes down uh, that mountain and there's a young man there that is demon possessed. And, and uh, you can't, uh, or the individuals that are there, the disciples haven't cast out the demon that's there. And uh, the Lord makes a statement to how long must I with this unbelieving generation, put up with you. There's in a sense, the Lord's just frustrated because you have a generation of people, uh, even with his disciples, that aren't having the faith they're supposed to have. And he's just kind of going, how long am I going to have to put up with this? He knew, but it, it's a statement of frustration for these individuals to understand. They're not doing what they should be doing. You have uh, in the book of Acts a story there in Acts chapter 18 where you have a man who's by the name of Gallo that is the governor or the proconsul that has Paul brought before him and the Jews are accusing Paul of certain things and it just simply says that as some politicians are, they just don't put up with it. In fact, he's tired of listening to the Jews' argument, and so he says, enough of this case, and he actually has the leader of the synagogue beaten because he's tired of hearing the arguments over and over again. He didn't, he didn't forbear. He didn't tolerate uh, these individuals doing this. And as you look through Scripture, other passages, you have several uh, in Hebrews where it just simply talks about the fact that Paul pleads with his readers to bear with his exhortation. And if you've ever been through the book of Hebrews, it's not an easy book to go through. It's a very helpful book when you understand the fact that Christ is better than anything. I mean, that's the whole argument of the book. But you go through and there's all sorts of Old Testament prophecies and Old Testament passages that are referred to. And Paul at the end just simply says, would you tolerate this exhortation? Would you pay attention to what's there and put up with it? Because it's got some good things for you. But in this context, the Apostle Paul twice uh, is uh, one who's challenging us to forbear with one another, to put up with one another. You realize that not everybody else is like you, though you might think they should be like you. But being around individuals for any length of time and over time, you begin to find out that they're not quite like you, and sometimes you just have to what? Tolerate them. Put up with them. Now, as believers, there is a little bit more standing uh, understanding on this. When you look at that passage in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2, it says that you're to forbear one another. And it's got that little phrase at the end I didn't highlight, I should have. In love. You kind of go, oh, okay. You know, it's not just merely, I put up with them and I grit my teeth and this. I put up with them 
and I display Christ's love for us because I, I think about this. Uh, could God and Jesus Christ be irritated with us all the time? You know, does God tolerate us? Yes, he does, but he does it in a spirit of love. In fact, he's so loving that he sends his son to die for us. It's not just merely putting up, but he's willing to go the full distance on this. But there is an idea that goes along with forbearing one another that you see in both passages, and it's the word just before forbearing. What is it? It's the word what? Long-suffering. This is a word in the New Testament that's sometimes translated long-suffering. It's sometimes uh, translated as patience. There's actually two words in the New Testament. There's one that I was, when I was studying these passages, I thought was the word for forbearing. It's the idea of endure, persevere under circumstances that you bear under these things. Uh, but that's not what the word forbearing is. It's just simply to tolerate. But this word long-suffering is oftentimes used in the context of people. And you go, well, what does it mean? Well, in the old testament you had this word long suffering and it just simply in the the hebrew said this long of nostril and you go what do you mean how do you be long of nostril well it was the idea of this that a person would hold their breath longer than normal that they would restrain action or reaction uh, to another person. That's the same way when you get to the Greek language and you have this word long-suffering. It's the same idea, but it's got the idea it's in a different context. It's a long burn. You, know, you talk about somebody who's short-fused. You know, when you were a kid and you were messing with fireworks, you didn't want short-fuses with those fireworks. You go, why? Because you didn't want to hurt yourself. You wanted long fuses so you could run. That's the idea is that an individual that is forbearing with one, uh, somebody else is one who's got a long fuse. They don't react immediately. They restrain those uh, the, the normal reactions uh, that they would normally have. This is not easy to do uh, in some cases because people bring on heat. They cause us uh, uh, to raise the temperature sometimes in the room by what they do or what they say, and and that might be something that would set us off, but. To be long-suffering is something that you say, I can't do. You, know, you don't know my background. You don't know my nationality. We just tend to, you know, we tend to have anger problems and whatever else. And the answer is anybody that's a sinner has a problem with anger and wrath. But when a person gets saved, they have a fruit of the Spirit and you go through that list in, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. When the Spirit comes into your life, it displays certain things. And it says love, joy, peace. And then it says something about long-suffering. When you get saved, you now have an additional ability that the world doesn't have 
to put up with individuals and not be short-fused with them, but to be long-fused with them. To be able to hold your breath and not react uh, as you would initially react in your own flesh, but you have an ability now to be able to respond in a way that God has been towards us. That word long-suffering was used to describe God. He was long-suffering to us word, as it says uh, in uh, 2 Peter, if I remember my context correctly. He's long-suffering with us, not willing that we should perish. God had to, many times with us even, be long-fused. God is not uh, short-fused. He just, uh, some people imagine God up in heaven and he's just, you know, somebody does something wrong, he zaps them. And that, that's how the world views their gods. Because they view God like themselves. What they would be like. But our God is not one who is short-fused. He's one who's long-fused. And in some senses, you think about it, we have a world that is doing all sorts of wrong and he's been willing for over six to 7,000 years not to judge it completely. We have a God who's long-suffering, long-burning. And so there may be people in our life that cause heat, that cause us to want to react, but we do have something. We have this fruit of the Spirit that is long-suffering that allows us to put up with people that normally we would react to. We can do this. And so, as you think through this passage of Scripture, you just kind of go, okay, the Lord commands us to uh, forbear with one another with long-suffering. And you look at verse number, uh, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 3, it kind of expands upon what this forbearing looks like. And it's this, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul in Ephesians had been writing about the church in the first three chapters is all sorts of doctrines about this unity that God has created through Jesus Christ where you have Jews and Gentiles that wouldn't normally get together and get along, suddenly can get along together in a thing called the church. And you have this whole doctrine for three chapters and then chapter four, you start having the teaching on how this applies to life and the apostle Paul recognizes you're putting together a whole bunch of people who aren't like each other. But he states right from the beginning that you are worthy, you can walk worthy of the vocation. You can walk like a Christian. You can look like a Christian. And it starts off with the fact that with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, you forbear with one another. And it looks like this, that there is an activeness. It's not just merely a passivity that I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm going to not respond. Sometimes what it requires of us is to be active to calm situations down. Hey, that's the idea. Endeavor to be active in being an individual who keeps the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So it's not just merely here that you hold your temper and that you stop from reacting like you would be. There is an element to this that you go around and you actually calm down the situation 
You would do this with a a fire. Uh, What do you do with a fire? You throw dirt on it. If it's outside of the campfire, what are you doing? You're tamping down the flame from coming up. We have some of that responsibility when we have people interacting with one another to be a part and actively involved in making sure that people get along with one another. So it's not just merely you forbear, you tolerate, you put up with, but you're going about, and the expectation through the Spirit is that the Lord's put you together and that He is looking for us to be at peace with one another, not at each other's throats. But do you realize that we're all sinners? And you know this is that we will sometimes fail in this. You go, well, everyone else will. I won't. No, we we will all fail in this matter of tolerating and putting up and being long-suffering with individuals and we'll be like that old cat that gets frustrated and then will reach out and swipe at somebody. And in our emotions at the moment, we'll reason out, it's okay for me to do this, but now you've got a situation where damage and hurt has occurred. You say things you shouldn't say. You say things about people you shouldn't uh, even uh, say about them. You hurt and damage things. And now you have another situation and it's going to require what? Forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is something that's also that we need to be very active in doing. Not only pursuing it if we've offended somebody, but in giving it if somebody asks for it. Now, you say, what is forgiveness? Well, forgiveness is uh, an agreement to to not bring something back up again and to put things behind you as if, well, they never really happened. You think about what the Lord did when He forgave our sins. It talks about He took our sins and put them as far as the east is from the west. He buried them in the deepest parts of the sea when he forgave us. And you go, what does that mean? He's not going to bring it up again. Realize when forgiveness doesn't mean you forget. I mean, the Lord doesn't suddenly forget when it comes to forgiveness. But what, it, what he means by forgiveness is this, is that he determines this, that I will remember your sins no more. I won't bring them up again. will act towards one another as if these things had not, what? Happened. And when you think about the, the act, or act of forgiveness or seeking forgiveness, it's hard because we are emotional individuals. All of us are. Someone says, no, I'm stoic. No, we're all emotional And when someone does wrong to us in our mind, offends us. I mean, as Colossians 3, verse 20, or excuse me, verse 13 says, if any man have a quarrel against you. And the idea is that you have a difference, a dispute. 
You're supposed to, if someone offends you, you have to, in your own soul, be ready to forgive. Now, understand this. Forgiveness, in some ways, is a two-way street. A person has to ask for forgiveness, and a person has to be willing to give forgiveness. But understand this. There, there ought to be, with a person who is offended, an attitude of this, that I'm not going to be bitter I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to allow these things to happen. That's what Ephesians 4.31 is telling us. There's a determination of putting aside bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking. Put this away from you along with malice, hatred towards an individual. And be kind and forgiving to others. Uh, There is a, a willingness in our own soul when something goes wrong, when we forgive somebody else, that we're we're saying this, I'm putting aside the normal emotions and the anger that would destroy my soul. Because understand, anger that is let to go unchecked will gain root. And you understand that bitterness is a root. It takes root in your life and then it displays itself in all sorts of manifestations and outgrowths if you let it stay. What a person does in forgiveness is says, I'm not going to let myself go that direction. I'm not going to let myself go that way. I'm going to root that out. And what I'm going to do is to say to this person, I forgive you. And it's as if uh, the relationship after this, it's as if these things didn't happen between us. Now they did, and there will still be things that go on, but that is what forgiveness is claiming. I'm not going to continuously bring this back up in my own emotions, in my own mind, by the grace of God. I'll do this. I'll forgive you. And sometimes you have to have an attitude of forgiveness even towards a person who has not sought forgiveness. I think that's the most difficult one to have is that you're willing to forgive an individual and you're going, I'd be willing to forgive them. I've worked through the bitterness and the anger in my own life uh, as to what they've done, but they never come and ask for forgiveness. But guess what? You still have to have the attitude of forgiveness regardless. Now, on the other side, there is this uh, understanding that if you have offended somebody, that you need to go and take care of this. Or you sense that's the case. Well, you go, what does that mean? You just go to them and go, okay, there, there seems to be something that's gone wrong here. Or you know that you've overstepped a boundary. And for you to to make that situation peaceful again, that there's this bond of unity and peace that's in a congregation, uh, it may be that you just have to go to that person and go, listen, I did this. I'm sorry. I don't know if you'd be willing to forgive me, but it wasn't right. And that's pretty difficult. Not easy to do. You go, what, what does that require us to do? Well, you read in this passage that we're supposed to put on bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind. We're supposed to be lowly and meek. And it's hard for us sometimes to come and just admit, I did wrong. I failed. Came up short. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Uh, but if you have 
a church body, individuals in it that are humble, that recognize that they're just sinners who are saved by the grace of God and that we're all working to look like Christ and sometimes we fail. There are times where individuals are going to have to come and go, sorry, I offended you. It shouldn't have happened. It was wrong on my part. Will you forgive me? You know what the responsibility of that person is? To forgive. And so what you have here is a a two-way street. I forbear with individuals, I put up with them, and I am long-suffering with them. But then on the other side, I may get offended by them and get upset and react, and now I have to mend that relationship and go, okay, I'm sorry, and the other person goes, I forgive you. And you go, why? Because Christ forgave you. Christ forgave you a debt that was unpayable. I mean, that's something that we forget. It was an unpayable debt. There was no way you were going to earn enough credit with God for you to be able to enter into heaven. There was no works you could do. There were no good deeds you could do. There was none of this that you could do in order to merit God's favor. And yet he forgave you. There is a story. I want us to turn to this, but it's one that uh, on Wednesdays we went over I don't know how long ago, but uh, we did go over uh, a story, a parable. It's that story where Peter is uh, coming to the Lord and he says in uh, Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21, he makes this inquiry of the Lord. Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, offend me, and I forgive him till seven times? Now, Peter, when he makes that statement, if I have somebody who offends me, should I forgive him seven times? Peter was being generous. Because the teachers of Peter's day, the Pharisees, said you only had to forgive a person three times, and then after that, over with. So Peter was actually being generous and going, maybe if I have someone who does something wrong against me and I'm required to forgive them, uh, I forgive them seven times. Verse 22, Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Now, people are, you know, you read commentators and they can't agree on the fact as he's saying 77 times or 490 times. And I look at it and go, I don't think it really matters because if you get to 77 times, I mean, you count that many times up, you don't have that many fingers and toes to keep track of that. Regardless of it, it's basically the Lord saying, you just keep doing this if someone offends you and then they come back to you and they're asking for forgiveness do you have the attitude and should you have the attitude of forgiveness towards them and the answer is all the time and the lord gives this illustration this parable verse 23 Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. You go, what's that? Well, 
and figuring it out best we can figure out is that he owed the debt of a whole nation <laughs> in our nation you look at it uh, yeah okay um <clears throat> that would be an amazing debt that's the idea he owes the debt of a whole nation and somehow this minister for this king had gotten this amount of debt racked up mismanagement of funds whatever he did whatever the case is he owes a debt that you would say is unpayable he's never going to pay that back i mean if you the, the debt of the nation is more than what the nation has it's unpayable in verse 25 this individual but as for much as he had not to pay his lord commanded him to be sold his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made and the servant fell down and worshiped him saying lord have patience with me be long suffering with me and i will pay thee all and the lord of that servant was moved with compassion loosed him forgave his debt I mean, this is incredible he was he was forgiven an unpayable debt you say why did he earn this no it was just the gracious compassion of this individual that he gave it however the story goes on verse 28 but the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence kind of going what is a hundred pence it would have been a hundred days wage he goes out and finds him and he lays hands on him and he took him by the throat saying pay me that thou owest and his fellow servant fell down on his feet and besought him saying have patience with me and i will pay thee all look at his statement it's the same as the man has just made a few minutes before in the presence of the king have patience with me and i'll pay all <laughs> verse 30 and he would not and one end cast him into prison till he should pay the debt i'm going to get my money from him I'm not going to forgive him his debt even though it's piteous in comparison to the debt he's just been forgiven verse 31 so when his fellow servants saw what was done they were very sorry and came and told their lord what was done then his lord after that he had called him said unto him "O thou wicked servant i forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant even as i had pity on thee shouldn't you have shown the same kind of forgiveness i showed to you shouldn't you have displayed that reflected that the goodness the good things that you received shouldn't you have reflected that towards others you see the response verse 34 the lord was wroth delivered him into his tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him verse 35 so likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses their offenses so as an individual here you have this story that just reminds us of the fact and as ephesians chapter 4 as you have written down there in very concise form be kind one to another tender-hearted forgiving one another even as god for christ's sake hath forgiven you so we have to put up with people okay that's the first command we put up with people they're not exactly like us they're they're not as perfect as we are and i say that with quotation marks and smile because we're not as perfect as we think we are sometimes but we are called to tolerate one another put up with one another endure with one another be long-suffering 
Okay, that's the first thing. And, and realize this, that sometimes uh, in being around them, you give yourself a long enough time and then you realize what makes them tick and it doesn't upset you as much. It doesn't frustrate you as much. Once you get to know their background and who they are and the like, uh, these things become less and less irritating. But the fact is we're supposed to forbear with one another. But if we fail at that, we ought to be people that are ready to forgive one another. That we ought to be willing to just say, I understand, I forgive you because I'm not perfect myself. God forgave me. I ought to be willing to forgive you. Let's put this behind us and continue to move forward in the bond of unity of peace and reflect as a church what it's like to be forgiven individuals and individuals that can forbear and tolerate one another in a world where people don't tolerate one another and don't forgive one another. We ought to be a light of that. So two good passages. Going to keep those verses together and have them someplace to remind yourself sometimes of your mission, especially when someone irritates you and frustrates you. Be ready to forgive and tolerate. Lord, we thank you for your word. We need to be reminded of things like this, that in our reflecting of Christ in our lives, what he's done for us in saving us, it requires us to be individuals that tolerate the nuisances, the energy of others in areas that uh, we're not so energetic in and the excitableness in some areas. Lord, help us to be gracious individuals with others. That we do it with a long-suffering spirit that you had with us. But Lord, we will fail. We will fail. We will offend others. Lord, help us to be ready to ask for forgiveness. And then may we be ready to reflect the forgiveness that we've been paid for on a grand scale, that's been taken care of on a grand scale for us. May we just take the opportunity to reflect in a small way a forgiving spirit that puts things behind and looks forward to what good can be done together as fellow believers in Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. We thank you for tolerating us, forgiving us, being long-suffering with us. May we reflect that to others. In this we pray in the name of your Son. Amen.